the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. And I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD and certification, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, for those of you who want to know, it just means that I'm insane and I went to law school for a couple more years and took some more bar exams. And um, it's like, uh, yeah. Anyway, and because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Again, because most areas of the law intersect with bankruptcy law. I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And as I share with you each week, I grew up as a military brat, and I always will be one. And I also helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service with all kinds of needs. As such, I proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And to each and every one of you out there, you veterans listening to my voice, I wish you a glorious Veterans Day weekend. And to the rest of us who are not veterans, did you know, again, how blessed we are to have an all-voluntary military force? 
they protect us and they represent 1% of our population. No other country can say that. Other countries draft folks. Other people are expected to uh, participate. And if they don't do so, they're assisted by their governments. But ours is an all-voluntary service and has been such since I graduated from high school in the last century in the Dark Ages. So I always take my hat off to veterans. Have a wonderful weekend. You know, I was raised by a dad who gave back big time to this country via his military service, who informed me that I, too, had a duty to give back to my community, to our society and our universe as a whole through service of some kind of my own choosing. Although he suggested that I not go in the military because I not that I have a problem following orders. It just I needed to know why. And that oath you take when you become a member of the military is that you will follow the orders the lawful orders of those who are the president of the United States and those officers that are placed before you, including non-commissioned officers. You know, so, you know, I talked to my dad about it and he says, you know, you sometimes you just got to follow orders and I have a problem with that. Anyway, in addition to having a great father who was committed to help steering me in the right direction as I was preparing to leave his nest, I also had the great fortune to both know and spend a lot of time with and actually became great friends, that is to say BFFs, with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, who both survived what I consider to be the four great economic challenges of the 20th century, that is to say the Great Depression, World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these wonderful women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these wonderful women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on, along with my dad, to do the right thing, (laughs) that when the situation is right, through my current chosen form of service, that is to say practicing and also speaking and writing about the law, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of women and seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money. And more and more probably than not, even if you have some, there's an insufficient amount thereof. And we also discuss your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your small business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. However, I must once again ask you to please know that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I truly believe that you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your uh, assets and or but specifically or your debt. 
So today we summarize our overview of the tax and spending and appropriation process contained in our 236-year-old U.S. Constitution by continuing to discuss Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 of our Constitution that deals with the fiscal appropriations process and is stated in the negative, that is to say, it is one of the powers denied Congress, which states no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law and a regular statement and account of receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. And I added a few other clauses in, in an amendment, the 16th Amendment, uh, that are stated in the positive. And I did so because in order to get to the point where you can't expend any money from the Treasury, you have to collect it. And that's done through the appropriations and budgetary process. So the other clauses that we need to focus in on are Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, which states representatives, that is to say our elected representatives, and direct taxes on us shall be apportioned among the several states, uh, uh, which may be included within the union according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, and that stands for white people, including those bound uh, to service of a term of years. Those were indentured uh, servants. They weren't slaves. And how you became an indentured service, for example, if you were a young person um, of either gender, say you lived in Wales and you wanted to come to the United States to, you know, see what you could do with your life. Sometimes uh, a business owner or a family would pay your passage to the United States. But in return, you would agree to work for that business or that family on a farm, say, for X number of years to pay off the debt that you owe them for bringing you over here. So that's why they are included in the number of freed persons. And then it goes on to say, excluding Indians who are not taxed, Native Americans, and three-fifths of all other persons. They're talking about slaves, although it doesn't say that. Okay. Um, also, we're going to talk about Article 1, Section 9, Clause 4 of the Constitution that says no Capitation or, or direct tax shall be laid unless proportioned to the census or enumerated herein before a direct tax can be taken. Okay, as such, these additional clauses dealing with direct taxation and, the, and subject to the rule of apportionment meant that Congress must set the total amount to be taxed and then apportion it by the number of people in each of the states. Now, that was very confusing and it's tended to hamstring Congress's ability to raise uh, uh, money to fund and run our government. So ultimately, Congress adopted and the president signed off on the 16th Amendment, which authorizes Congress to impose tax without regard to the rule of apportionment. Now, again, I'm going through all these machinations to, for three reasons. So we can stay on top of our elected officials to make sure that they complete the appropriations process. Also look for ways to fund the Social Security Tax Trust Fund and then let them know that we understand that there's an important um, Supreme Court case that's coming that 
uh, might limit our uh, IRS from the ability to raise the taxes needed to run our our government. So in as much as it looks like Congress is absent without leave (laughs) dealing with these matters, when we come back, I'll share with you what we can expect if the government shuts down next Friday, November the 17th. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we summarize our discussion on today's topic, that is to say, the interconnection and interrelatedness of a few sections of our 236-year-old United States Constitution, dealing with the raising and appropriation and spending of our, your, my tax dollars. And Again, I do this to lay a foundation to hopefully entice all of you folks out there in radio land and podcast land to get in touch with your, our elected officials in Congress and hammer them hard to take the steps necessary to, number one, appropriately commence and complete the appropriations process such that our government will stay open past next Friday, November the 17th, when the current continuing resolution expires. Number two, focus them on shoring up the Social Security Trust Fund, lest those of us who are baby boomers, uh, who are about to fall off in the employment roles into an insufficiently funded system we'll be facing our declining years with insufficient Social Security income. And three, to let them know we know about this case more via United States, and we want them to put in place a plan to deal with it if the Supreme Court rules as is anticipated. Now, we've been discussing the need for Congress to commence and complete the appropriation process for some time now, including my idea of shoring up the Social Security Trust Fund by increasing taxes on people who make more than $500,000 a year and corporations. And last week, we took a look at the very important uh, tax case currently before the Supreme Court. That's Moore versus the United States. And in some, uh, that's the case where the plaintiff, that's Mr. and Mrs. Moore, are asking the Supreme Court to overturn the Ninth Circuit's determination that the one-time mandatory repatriations tax that was contained in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of, of 2017, and it stands for the proposition that taxed income earned but not distributed between 1986 and 2017 that is held in a foreign corporation making said income unrealized was not a violation of the appropriations clause or the Fifth Amendment due uh, due process clause. Again, the Moore's main claim in this deemed repatriated tax is 
unconstitutional because they say it's applied to unrealized income and it applies retroactive to past earnings that the taxpayers earn personally. And they say that that countervenes the 16th Amendment and case law that generally requires that income be taxed for a given tax year, not going backwards, and it be realized before it's taxed. However, according to the Tax Foundation in an article entitled How the Moore Supreme Case Could Reshape Taxation of Unrealized Income, and it was written by Bunn, Cole, and McBride and Watson on August 30, 2023. It states that if the Supreme Court strikes down the entirety of the deemed repatriated (laughs) of corporation and non corporate taxpayers, we, that is to say the authors of that article, estimate that this would reduce revenue by about $346 billion over the next uh, 10 years, including the refund that the government would have to make to the taxpayers that have already made these payments. And if deferral on profits domiciled abroad were reinstated, The authors anticipate that firms would adjust their behavior to take advantage of this situation, and that would further amplify amplify the projected revenue loss for us as a a corporation, uh, a a constitutional uh, entity. So I reiterate that a ruling in favor of the Moors has the potential to place a stranglehold on our ability to raise the taxes on unrealized income that is deemed repatriated, as well as other situations where our taxing authority currently used uh, uh, the ability to tax some unrealized income or gain. So, you know, just to clarify things. So as I stated before the break, in as much as it looks like Congress is AWOL when it comes to the current um, appropriations process, um, and it looks like we're going to the government's going to shut down next Friday, November the 17th, 2023. Um, I, I thought I would share with you some potential outcomes of such a situation. And I went to many sources and they all generally say the same nonprofit sources and for profit sources and business sources. But I'm going to share with you an article that is on CNN's website. And that's located at CNN.com. And it's entitled, What Happens If the Government Shuts Down an Illustrated Guide? And I'm sending you there because they have nice, pretty pictures, which also helps. Um, The authors are O'Kirk and Libney. And they wrote this article on September 30, 2023. And in essence, they say Congress uh, passed a a stopgap measure. And it'll go through November 17th. But here's the guide of what you can expect if the government shuts down then. What they explain what a government shutdown is. A government shutdown happens when Congress doesn't approve funding for the federal government by the time of a new fiscal year. That's October 1 of each year. Uh, and unless they do something and pass appropriations bills in all 12 of the mandatory subcommittees uh, that make up the discretionary spending budget, the government will shut down. So if the government fails to enact all or some of the appropriations bills, many government oper- 
operations grind to a halt, resulting in a full or partial government shutdown until Congress acts. However, government functions that are deemed essential will continue. Each federal agency comes up with a contingency plan that outlines which of its functions will continue during the shutdown and which will stop, as well as how many of its employees will continue working and how many will be furloughed until the shutdown ends. So what does that mean to you? Because many federal workers are off the job during the government shutdown, many services are stopped or slowed, disturbing those of us who don't work for government's ability to deal with our government. Notably, Social Security payments to seniors, Americans with disabilities, and others would continue to be distributed. They say that because that's that's what will happen. But what if there are not enough people to make sure that that gets distributed? They also say the Postal Service will continue its regular service Some states would use their own funds to keep open certain national parks like the Grand Canyon. But getting back to the Postal Service again. So what if there are not enough postal workers to fully implement uh, making those deliveries to us? Um, Some of us remember when we got mail like once a week. So and who knows when you might get your Social Security uh, check if it's coming through the mail. So I just put that out there. Social security and disability payments have to continue to be made. But my point is, if there are not enough people on staff, um, how is that going to happen? So what does it mean to government workers? When a shutdown occurs, millions of federal employees and military service members do not get paid until it ends. Employees who are deemed essential, such as those in services that protect public safety or national security, keep on working. In the past, this included services such as federal law enforcement and air traffic controllers. One of my younger brothers uh, is an air traffic controller. So anyway, I'll talk about that another time. Non-essential employees are furloughed, temporarily suspended. That's what that means. Both groups must Uh, pull from their savings or find other ways to stretch their dollars Uh, because they won't, they will get paid if the government, when and if the government uh, regroups and comes back into play. But what are they going to do during that gap period? Okay. And there's going to take some time for their um, uh, uh, back pay to be implemented. The numbers of workers affected depend on if the shutdown is full or partial. If some appropriations bills pass on time, those corresponding funding agents, they will get their funding and they will continue as normal. But those other ones don't. So in the last government shutdown, that is to say between 2018 and 19, an estimated 420,000 federal employees worked without pay and another 380,000 were furloughed. Okay, so that's not good fun for them. Um, And soldiers are going to work, but what are they going to do for pay? What does it mean to our economy? Well, many believe that it's going to have a negative impact on our gross domestic product and the ability for businesses Uh, are going to be, uh, for example, during the shutdown, the Small Business Administration will stop processing new applications for two of its major loan programs uh, and that distribute more than $100 million per year. 
And the last time uh, we had a, a shutdown, merger slowed because the Securities and Exchange Commission wasn't fully staffed and initial public offerings were put off or stopped because there was nobody there to approve them, to review them and approve them. So, I, again, I'm telling you this because you really need to take part of next week to reach out to your elected officials to let them know they need to get our budget process completed so we won't shut down next Friday. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing, like to say here, Ellen's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including access to and utilizing the tools of our primary law via our Constitution that has provided us and helped us become informed and knowledgeable participants in the proper functions and functionings of the first branch of government, Congress, and holding it accountable for timely enacting our budget to keep our government open. So till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.